Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I am super excited to be here with Julia Campbell today. So she is the founder of J. Campbell Social Marketing, the founder of Nonprofit Social Media Summit, and host of the Nonprofit Nation podcast. So if you haven't heard that, go out and listen to it today, right now. Hey, Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, we were talking off off camera, off audio a minute ago. I, I'm just shocked that you know in the in the many years that you and I have been doing this before, we we've uh, we've not met prior to this. So it's good to have you here. Yes, I'm. I think it's the lack of in person conferences, although they're coming back. So maybe there'll be more networking events in the future. Absolutely. Well, I'm uh, I'm really interested uh, to get into this conversation today. We're going to talk. Uh, all things nonprofit social media. So let's let's jump in. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I'd love to just start with some some kind of context setting from you about how nonprofits should sh- yeah, should think about uh, social media with respect to their broader communication and engagement strategy. I love that you start with this question because this is definitely the last thing they think about. I think. <laughs> The first question is usually, where should nonprofits be on social media? Or when I have a client or a student, they say, should I be on Facebook? Should I be on Instagram? And the key here is you have to start at least 10 steps behind from that question. So I love I love the idea of starting out with thinking about social media and the broader communications and engagement strategy, because if it is not baked into everything that you're doing in terms of communications, then it will not be successful. So it really can't be this little piece of the puzzle. You can't really hire an intern and then never speak again and never give them content, never give them photos, never talk to them about what it is that's working. Um, There's all sorts of pieces that make social media work really well. And what I also think people get fundamentally wrong in terms of thinking about it in terms of the broader strategy is that the principles of social media, especially for fundraising, are the same as the principles of fundraising. And they're the same as the principles of marketing, but they just need to be done in a little bit of a different way because the platforms are all different. So I really believe that social media should be augmenting and enhancing things that you are already doing, and it should be contributing to the broader organizational strategy that you've identified, hopefully either in strategic planning process, or maybe you do three months, six months goal planning. Maybe you have a marketing plan for the year, but it needs to be integrated into all of that. And it should not be at cross purposes with your broader strategy. And another point that I want to make is that when people hear me talk about social media, sometimes they think automatically that I'm saying it should replace everything else that you're doing. 
but it absolutely should not replace other things that are that are successful. You should still be doing your events if you can, your gala if that's working for you, direct mail if that's working for you, email marketing, all of the things that nonprofits do. You should definitely still include in your strategy and hopefully social media will help you sort of augment and enhance what you're doing, but it does need to be baked in. I feel like nonprofits get it wrong because they often tack it on as an afterthought and it's not strategic. It's not intentional. And that's why we're getting it wrong. So two follow-ups to that. Um, and I totally agree with what you said, but um, in, in an organization where marketing and fundraising aren't part of one integrated department, but mm-hmm. where they're two separate you know, silos, if you will, where do you put social media? I would put it in marketing. So I talk hey, about this why. a lot. I've been a marketing fundraising director, both. And I've actually been a marketing fundraising director and volunteer coordinator. So it's like three full-time jobs. <laughs> and a lot of the students that take my courses and a lot of my clients don't have separated departments. It's usually one person or maybe two people doing the work of seven people. (laughs) But I believe it should stay firmly in marketing. That doesn't mean that fundraising shouldn't have a perspective because if there's a campaign being run where you're asking for donations, then certainly the fundraising department should have some input into how we can best craft that ask. And then of course, if people are coming to you from social media The fundraising department, the development department, I see their role as stewardship and cultivation and donor relations. So I think that the marketing and fundraising departments should be working together in terms of the messaging, what's important, what do we need to convey. But at really at the end of the day, social media is very top of funnel marketing. It's very low touch. It's very... It's not a very intimate experience with your potential donor or your donors. It's great to stay top of mind. It's great for donor relations, but it's mostly used for donor acquisition and it's mostly used for marketing and awareness raising. So I think if you have marketing skills, you will do best on social media. Fundraising skills, I feel like that's a whole different skill set. That's people skills, calling people on the phone doing donor research, doing major gift research. If you are, you know, a party of one, then you do have to put your different hats on. I do think that they should be working together, but that's all marketing. All marketing should be really encouraging and attracting the right kind of people and establishing the nonprofit as this go-to trusted resource. And that's sort of, that's really what I see marketing as doing. And then fundraising is, creating that even deeper relationship and saying, Hey, you're interested. Maybe you've taken an action. Maybe you've signed up for an event or you've signed a petition. Um, Maybe you have signed up for our email newsletter. Now the second step is, do you want to go in deeper? Do you want to actually make a bigger impact? And here's how you can do it. And that's by giving money. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So second follow-up earlier in your, your initial response, you talked about, you know, not looking at social media as a replacement to other things. But I think a lot of organizations, at least what I hear from them is, well, it's free. So why wouldn't we replace things? Talk about why it's not really free and some of the things that people need to be aware of around that. The biggest reason why it's not free is your time. So 
there are, I teach the four pillars of social media management. So there are four pillars that you need in order to be successful on social media. And they all require time. The first pillar is research and listening. So spending time to learn about the individual platform that you're on, because you know, TikTok is different than LinkedIn. And really figuring out what your audience wants and what they grab answering your DMs, following other people, contributing to conversations, like becoming part of the community. And then the fourth pillar is measurement and analysis. Because if you're not actually looking at what you're doing, then it's not going to be valuable. You're not going to be able to improve. So the there are, you know, it's so much work. It's sort of like when people say it's free, I'll say, oh yeah, well, my friend, you know, tried to give me a free puppy. And the puppy was free, but what do I do after I have the puppy? (laughs) And the puppy is lovely, but we didn't take the puppy. But because you've got to walk the puppy. I mean, we all know this. You got to walk it. You got to train it. You got to eat it. You got to feed it. It's free, but it's not really free. Yeah, we took the puppy. I know that pain very well. Yeah. (laughs) And I think the other side of that coin is we do need to realize that these are multi-billion dollar businesses. We cannot look at any of this through rose-colored glasses. Mm. Like we can't be naive about what Meta is designed to do, okay? And what they want. And this is rented land. We are renting land from all of these social media companies. So you own your email list, assuming that you have acquired emails ethically and with permission. You own your website. You own your videos that you have on your website. You own all of that. You do not own any of the content on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, wherever you are. You don't own your follower list and they can pull the rug out from under us at any time. And they do pretty frequently because we, I think at the end of the day, we have to remember, and I'm not a cynical person, but we do have to remember that they are businesses and they um, answer to their shareholders First, yeah. first and foremost, making a profit is first and foremost, as we have seen in some of the ethical discussions around using social media. So we need to understand that while these platforms are free, sometimes you get what you pay for. And we are the currency. You know, yeah. our data is the currency. That's be real about that. That's such a big one that, you know, we're the product, whether we want to realize it or not. And the, the mm-hmm. point you make about rented land is really important. I mean, I, I often hear organizations and it's a it's a shocking statement, but say things like, "Well, we're not going to build uh, a website, or we're oh, not going to create an email. Uh, 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 we're, we're not going to have an email yep. program um, because we're on Facebook and we can just use Messenger and this and that." And I always am thinking, like, "Well, okay, until Zuckerberg decides tomorrow that he's going to turn that aspect off, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, We'll see what he did with Facebook fundraising tools, which are very powerful. And um, a lot of nonprofits do raise millions with them. But he did that not because he loves nonprofits, honestly. He did it because he saw the success of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. But what bothered him was that people were going off Facebook to make donations. Mm. So the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge showed Facebook that the power of these challenges and the power of fundraising on the platform but they didn't like the fact 
that people had to go off Facebook to make a donation. So they thought, what if Facebook, what if people stay on Facebook and can make the donation within the platform without leaving? And then we get that data too, because we see donor behavior. So I, I think that we should make hay while the sun shines or I don't make, I don't, what is the saying? I don't know. Make yeah, hay while the sun shines. I, I don't know what, I think that's what I don't know is, what the but... saying is. <laughs> we should totally be using these tools while we can, while, while they're still free, while they're still, people are still using them and trusting them. But we have to have that long-term plan of bringing people over to our email list, getting them to make a donation via our donation CRM getting them to our website, you know, tracking them in a different way. So there does have to be that long-term strategy as well. So you talked about data a couple of times. And one of the things I wanted to get your perspective on is what, what you see, you know, in the, the weeks, months, and years ahead um, with respect to some of the changes to data privacy and, and just overall, like, you know, uh, Google and Facebook changing how they, you, you know, whether they track cookies, whether they allow, um, you know, organizations to do profile targeting and, and different things like that. What, what do you see there? And what do you think the challenges are going to be for organizations? For nonprofits specifically, the challenges right now are a lot of organizations are being identified as social issue organizations, and they're being banned from advertising. I've had even the smallest little local museum that I work with banned from Facebook because they were talking about Black History Month, I think. Huh. And that's going to really be a problem for us if we're used to being able to target people. We're used to being able to use the Facebook Pixel or you know, any kind of the Google tracking tools. The other important thing to understand is that ads are going to get much more expensive. And I think they already are because of the recent iOS update. So if you have an iPhone uh, you've probably seen it where, and I don't have an iPhone, but I someone showed me what it looks like. You can actually opt out of having your data tracked. Yep. So what that means is it's it's a real, it's kind of a real kick in the teeth to digital marketers, honestly, because it's going to affect our ability to target ads to people online. If you have a custom audience on Facebook and you've already uploaded like your email list, um, and they've opted out, it's going to affect your ability to target people that do want to hear from you, but have opted into the data privacy update. And then ads are just going to become much more expensive. So the heyday of ads when they were free and easy and easy to use, and you know, even organic reach, we know organic reach is way down across the board. I think that everything's just going to get more expensive and harder to do. But also to me, I'm in the Seth Godin school of permission marketing. And if someone does not want to hear from you, then it's okay. So what Seth Godin really says, and I'm paraphrasing is throw a great party that people want to be invited to and then invite them. And if they decline the invitation, that's fine. It might just be not for them, not this time but they'll seek you out when they want to seek you out and they'll connect with you in a way they want to connect with you. So not everyone's going to connect with you on email and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. They might be connecting with you in one certain way that they want to connect with you. But with the data privacy changes, we do have to understand, you know, open rates are going to be affected because people will be opting out of getting their open, their email opens tracked. Um, if they use Apple Mail, especially. So all of the metrics I think that we are used to using 
to track social media success, a lot of these metrics, we're going to have to really rethink our success rates and we're going to have to get really creative because it is getting harder and harder to reach people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting that you say that because I I think that's one of the challenges we've seen in our business recently is, um, you know, nonprofits saying, well, wait a minute, these ads didn't perform the way that, that you projected Mm-hmm. eight months ago, 12 months ago. Right. And, and it's, it's been a hard hurdle for, for people to, to, you know, get over to, to understand that, well, it's, it's not necessarily that they're not performing. It's just that no one can tell now. Right. Right. And, and so it makes that, that um, in the very short-term thinking that a lot of organizations have about, you know, their marketing spend needing to, to deliver a positive return on investment within the 12 month, you know, fiscal year period. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it makes this idea of, well, wait a minute, I spent a dollar on Facebook ads. What did I get for it? And now it's yep. like, well, you got a warm, fuzzy feeling, you know? <laughs> right. Um, you got a and, lot of video views. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I'm concerned that organizations are just going to stop investing in in social channel advertising because they can't tie that immediate one-to-one ROI. What do you think? I think that social media is about building a community. And that is what my second book is all about. I, I really believe that the effective use of social media should not be, okay, we posted this and someone went to our website. Because every post that you every every tweet every linkedin you know article every video it's impossible to tie a red line from every single thing to your website to a return on investment mm. but awareness and increasing people's affinity for your cause and getting people excited and proud to follow you and then also just promoting your mission i think that we actually have a moral obligation to be on social media channels because of all of the, you know, crap that's out there, sorry to say, and misinformation. We need to be sort of like the warriors. We need to be the heroes that say, this is what, you know, dealing with homelessness, living with homelessness is really like, this is what domestic violence is like. Mm. This is what children who go to an after-school program and need, you know, study help is like, we need to tell the real hard stories and shed light on these causes and be, be active and be there and be accessible to people. And we really need to be with people where they are. And that's the key here is that people are on social media. Like your board might not be, I hear that all the time. Sure. Okay. My board's on social media. Fine. But guess what everybody else is. Okay. Whether we like it or not, and we might like different channels. You know, I'm not the biggest Facebook fan. I took it off my phone. Best thing I ever did, (laughs) but I'm a huge fan of Instagram. So maybe I'm a hypocrite and (laughs) I love LinkedIn, but other people might like different channels, but we need to be where people are and we can't force them to be where we want them to be. Like we can't force them to come over to our blog or, you know, come over to our website. We can't force them but we can entice them and then we can share these little breadcrumbs of our work along the path and sort of entice them to follow us along this journey. And I, I just see, I see social media, you know, we spent money on for years on billboards. We couldn't track that. Yep. We spent money for years on newspaper ads. I will never forget the ad that I saw 
uh, I saw an ad in the train when I used to take the train to Boston, I saw an ad for Beverly hospitals, the local hospital here. And it said, you know, it was a great ad. There was a new baby or something. And it just said Beverly hospital. It didn't have a website. It didn't have a phone number. I'm like, how much did they spend on that? (laughs) And they don't even know. They can't even track if this even worked. So think about all of that stuff we used to do for years where we couldn't get that direct red line. Social media and digital advertising, you actually really can track it. Like you can track, are your followers going up? Is this post really popular? You can track from Google Analytics how many people came to our website from these channels. Everything on digital, you can actually track. And as long as you're, you have your eye on the prize, like your eye on the North star of what you're trying to do and your goals, then you can actually see, okay, this is really helping us get to our goal, but it's also like exercise. You can't just exercise 20 minutes a week. I mean, you could, it's better than nothing, but you're not going to get, I might be guilty of that sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're not going to get the same results as you would if you exercise three times a week for 20 minutes. So you're going to see that it's a marathon and not a sprint. And that the more consistent you are and creative and thoughtful and meaningful, more intentional you are, you're going to get better results. Well, let's, let's talk about that intentionality for a minute. Yeah. Um, you know, there I, I've sat in meetings where I've heard, you know, uh, organizations talking about, well, you know, we need to, we need a TikTok strategy. We need a mm-hmm. Snapchat strategy. We need mm-hmm. a LinkedIn strategy. Like mm-hmm. that's a whole lot. Um, how do how should organizations go about first of all deciding what platform they actually should be on and what platforms mm-hmm. might not make sense and then do you see this as you know if you're in three different social channels you need three different complete strategies or are mm-hmm. these um are these sort of uh you know is it one stool with three legs or is it three separate stools you definitely need a platform specific strategy. And that's why you should not be everywhere. You really need to evaluate your capacity and your bandwidth because you have to do those four pillars on every channel that you're on. Hmm. You have to. So your TikTok strategy is going to be very different from your LinkedIn strategy. It's just going to be different. So you, you can have this overarching content strategy. You know, what are the things we want to convey? What does our audience want to learn more about? What are some of the myths and misconceptions we can address? What are our frequently asked questions? What are we known for? What is unique about us? What is the problem we're solving? What is the solution we're providing? Those are all your overall communications strategy, like your content strategy. But then it does filter down into how are we going to translate those topics in and mold them into different platforms. So you think about your content like the gold and you mold it if you want to build a you know, make a bracelet or a watch or a ring. So it's still the same gold, but it's just in a different form. And that's very important because you can't just recycle and like cut and paste a lot of the same stuff, certainly not on TikTok. You have to create specific content for TikTok or you won't succeed. That people can sniff it out a mile away. It's just the way that community is. Facebook and LinkedIn, you could probably repurpose some things from Facebook to LinkedIn, but every channel is a different country with a different set of rules and best practices, strengths and weaknesses, 
you know, it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to go to Europe, but I'm not going to buy a guidebook for Germany. If I'm going to France, you got to right. buy, buy the Germany guidebook and the France guidebook. Sorry to say. So it's, it's sort of like that, like you can plan your trip, but you definitely have to buy the separate guidebooks because France and Germany are completely different countries with completely different languages um, and totally different cultures. So if you think about it that way, it is a lot of work. And that's why I recommend not being everywhere. You don't have to be everywhere. And the way you determine where you want to be, you really have to understand your goals and your audience. So an example that I use is I've, I do a lot of work with Boston public schools Okay. and we do all sorts of different marketing campaigns and they wanted to do a marketing campaign around the FAFSA, the federal application for federal, the free application for federal student aid. And they wanted to increase high school seniors applying for the FAFSA because if you apply for the FAFSA, you're 80% more likely to actually attend college. Oh, wow. So the statistics are there. They wanted to be on Facebook. And I said, are we targeting high school seniors or are we targeting teachers and administrators? Because that's very different. That's a different message. That's a whole different set of content. Um, But if we're targeting high school seniors, we can't be on Facebook. They're not on Facebook. Are you kidding me? So we had to, we created two campaigns, one for teachers and administrators and parents, and then one for high school students. But obviously for the high school students, we were on Snapchat and TikTok because that's where they are. And we did some Instagram. So that's the key here is what is your purpose? What is your goal? And who is your audience? And it might change campaign to campaign, but if you don't know where you're trying to go and you don't know who you need to like get on the bus to come with you, you're not going to be able to figure out a platform to be on. That makes a ton of sense. So it's, uh, it's March 4th, 2022, Mm -hmm. uh, Russia invaded Ukraine a week ago ish. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that there are a lot of organizations, a lot of marketers in the nonprofit sector going, Holy crap. Can, is it still okay to talk about, our diaper bank or our animal shelter, or how, how do we navigate that within the context of what's going on uh, globally, being respectful of what, you know, what's happening, but also not just completely going silent about our, our mission and cause. Talk to us about how organizations should think about that and what some of the decisions are that they have to make in that process. I think that's a really great question. For me, I, I'm running my social media for Social Good Academy right now. I always run it during crises. Last, okay. I ran it um, February 2020 into March 2020. <laughs> um, I ran it when George Floyd was murdered. Okay. Um, and I, I always seem to run it during these huge crises. So that is a huge question that we get, that I get. And what I say is, you know, just trust your gut right now. Understand that people are really stressed to the max. And if you're going to post something right now, I would post something a little bit more light, light, maybe a little, a success story, something happy, something good, a staff story. You can certainly talk about Ukraine if you want. I've actually seen a few posts from organizations that I support that say they stand with Ukraine and, you know, um, they're horrified by this war. And you can, you can do that if it makes sense for you. You don't have to. I would just trust your instincts right now. 
And if you need to send an email that says the world is really heavy, we're just checking in to see how everyone's doing. We're not going to send our regular email newsletter this week because we feel like it's just too much, but we want you to know we're thinking about you. That's completely Hmm. fine. I remember when George Floyd was murdered and I was actually in the middle of running a digital fundraising campaign with a client and they just decided to stop everything. You know, they, I think it was the the best idea. Um, So they stopped everything. And then a few weeks later they redid it and they said, you know, we really struggled because we want to communicate with you. We we have to raise money. This is an important program. This is something that the community really needs. And this is an identified problem, but we knew that a lot of you were really not thinking about this. Like we just knew that people needed space and time. Yeah. So that's completely acceptable. I just always believe in being honest and open and transparent. And if you want to write a post that says, we're not posting on Facebook this week, because of what's going on in the world. And we'll see you next week. That's completely fine. People will understand. I don't think you should go completely silent, maybe for a week, but I don't think I'd go more than a week because I mean, at the end of the day, even if you're not like COVID facing, even if you're not an international relief charity, you're doing important work and you're solving a problem that is important in the community. Like if you're a food bank or if you are, even if you're um, a theater, if you are a camp, if you are an academic institution doing research around breast cancer prevention, you are doing important things. So you, you might want to take a pause. um, But of course there's always going to be something happen. There's going to, you know, there's an insurrection, there's this, there's that, there's all, there's an election. There's always going to be something happening. So figuring out how to be authentic in the best way possible and, you know, give yourself some grace. If you just need to shut off your phone and go to bed and eat Pringles, like do it. I give you permission. You can tell your boss. <laughs> I, I am definitely going to go to bed tonight and eat Pringles. I, I appreciate the permission. <laughs> I remember during Kavanaugh's hearing, mm-hmm. um, I had zoom calls all day okay. and I emailed all of them and I was like, I'm going to bed and eating uh, a sleeve of Pringles. <laughs> See me in two days. I, you just have to take that. You have to take time for yourself. If things are feeling too heavy and you just know your mental health and your wellness is actually really more important than getting that tweet out at the end of the day. For sure. So let's take a little bit of a different, uh, jump for a minute. Talk to me a little bit about some of the emerging skills and talents that people need if they want to be successful today and in the future in this social media space? Mm -hmm. I've always thought this, and I think this is even more important today. We have to have a certain level of journalism skill set. So what that means is we have to have an eye for a story. We have to be able to write it in a way that has a hook and has an angle. We have to truly understand who we're writing for and who our audience is. And I studied journalism and I really believe that it has completely benefited me in all terms of marketing and communication, because you're able to talk to people. You're able to ask leading questions, just like you're doing Andrew, and you're able to really get to the crux of the issue and get to that. What is that hook? What is that angle? Why would people care? So even just that investigative eye, that journalistic eye, I think that's a really important skill. The second skill really does have to be some kind of video editing. 
Mm. So I am not a video editor under any circumstances, but you can use Canva. You can use tools like Animoto. You can use, I use Animoto and Magisto. Those are two apps. You basically put your video in there and they just tweak it for you. Or you put a bunch of photos in there and they make a montage for you. But we all need those visual storytelling skills at this point. We need to be able to not necessarily maybe take photos, but work with a photographer or I don't really like stock photography, but there's a, there's a lot of great stock photography sites or free photo sites that are not, you know, the generic, like, um, the generic photos. Yeah. So having an eye for visual storytelling, being able to really kind of sniff out what's important and be analytical around it and look at the data, you know, say, oh, this post performed really well. How can we repurpose it? Or how can we create another post like this? Um, and being able to listen and figure out the trends, figure out what's, especially if you're on TikTok, you can't just be on TikTok. You've got to know what the trending sound is and the trending hashtag, and you're going to jump on all the trends. And by the way, the trends, they go away like in three hours. <laughs> so if if you're on TikTok, I mean, if you're on other channels, it's not quite as fleeting, but you do need to, you need to have your pulse on what is important in your industry, in your cause area. And how can you kind of insert your, your particular unique perspective and your solution, because your nonprofit is unique. There's a reason you exist, right? Maybe you have, maybe you're solving a unique problem. Maybe you have a unique solution to a problem that other people are solving, but what makes you unique and being able to convey that and being able to really be confident in your voice and confident in the choices that you're making. I think those are really important skills. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. You you said something I want to come back to. You mentioned the idea of um, repurposing content. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about because I think oftentimes, like if I'm a, a nonprofit CEO or a, a CMO, I'm thinking like, okay, how many people do I need in this department to to do all these different things? Oh yeah, and you know if I create this video, can I get any more mileage out of it than just, you know, the 30 seconds or the 60 seconds of the video, give us some context for how organizations that are really successful at this are, are taking, you know, sort of a pillar piece of content and then using it for multiple different purposes. That's such a great question. The successful organizations, Mm -hmm. they spend probably 20% of their time creating original content and 80% promoting it. Hmm. or putting it out there. Okay. So what I, I always see the opposite with a lot of smaller organizations, especially they spend all this time making this great video and then they just put it on their website and they're done with it. And, and they maybe send it. an email, one email out or something. <laughs> yep. So with, I'm just going to use an example of my podcast. Um, what I do with my podcast, I write a blog post about it. I have a ch- whole checklist. So I think that's very important that you have your content repurposing checklist because you're not going to remember all of the things you need to do. So yeah, I write a blog post. I put it up on my blog. I do a LinkedIn post about it, tagging the person that was on the podcast. I do, I pin it to Pinterest. I do YouTube. um, And then I do Twitter and then I repurpose it like in my Facebook groups. And I know there's a lot more that I could be doing to be honest, but that's kind of what I do 
and I'm a team of one and that's what I do. And that's what is working for me. Oh, I send an email to my list um, also about the podcast, but I think if you have a system where if you have this great blog or maybe you have a press release, maybe you have that great video. If you have a checklist that says, okay, this is where we're going to post it. This is how we're going to repurpose it. Because for instance, you know, Instagram is 60 seconds and then an Instagram story is 15 seconds. So you will have to repurpose it depending where you're going and the channels that you're on. Maybe, you know, square video works great on Facebook, but horizontal works best on YouTube and you, you've just got to know the channels. But I also just don't think that you need to be everywhere. I happen to be everywhere and like to be everywhere <laughs> and probably don't need to be everywhere, but really figure out where you're getting the most bang for your buck. Like are is YouTube driving a lot of traffic to your website or are you getting a lot of clicks on your Instagram bio? Where are you really, where is your audience and where are they most invested and engaged? And you might be surprised when you look at those analytics, but I do think um, every nonprofit should be creating at least one. Okay. We will just say one, one original piece of content per week whether it's a blog or a video and the video does not have to be produced. You can hold your phone and just give like the executive director's update on a Friday. Here's what you need to know. Here's five things you need to know about food insecurity, something like that. And as long as you're doing that every week, people are really going to learn to trust you and you're going to build such an affinity with your audience and you're be seen as the go-to resource. And that should be at the end of the day, the real North star of all of this becoming that trusted go-to resource, because if you become that, then when you do ask them to do something for you, they're much more likely to take an action. So I think every nonprofit should be creating at least one piece of content every week, and then you can share it across all of your channels. Love it. All right. So we're just about out of time, but I want to get one more question in before I let you go. Um, One of the other things, and you probably hear this all the time from from your clients as well, but one of the things that I often see as a challenge in organizations is this idea or, or fear really that if we let our staff talk about their work without it going through a filter of a PR consultant, something terrible is going to happen. Right. Talk about like, how should organizations approach that whole, like, you know, can an employee, should an employee be able to post in their own voice or should it all go through a corporate filter? Well, first of all, trust your staff, trust (laughs) them and know that they're probably going to do the right thing 99% of the time. The second thing I would say is create very clear social media policies So you want to make sure you have an internal policy that states what people are allowed to do and not do. A great example is a school. So one of my friends works for a private school and she showed me their policy because I was looking for examples of policies and they are not allowed to friend or follow on Instagram or anything on TikTok, any of the students ever at all. Makes sense. Um, They are not allowed to talk about things that are are private to the school. So when they were discussing the mask mandate, 
And when the teachers union was discussing it, like obviously the teachers are not allowed to go on and talk about that. They're not allowed to call out a parent online. They're not allowed to call out a student online. They're not allowed to talk about things that are private to the school. So they have a very um, clear internal policy. But then some other organizations I've worked with, they also have policies not around just what's prohibited, but what's encouraged. So we encourage you to go and share stuff from our page. We encourage you to share our events. We encourage you to share a blog post. We encourage you to connect with everybody on LinkedIn, but not on Facebook. You know, So as long as you have these clear policies and protocols in place, you're going to be protected. But also I feel like staff, they want that. They want to know what is allowed, what is not allowed, um, what's encouraged, what's not encouraged. How can we help? But also, what are we going to get in trouble if we do? So having those policies where you discourage certain behaviors legally because you have to and work with if you have an HR person or even if you have just your employee guidebook, just go by your employee guidebook. You know, I mean, when I worked at domestic the domestic violence shelter, we were not even allowed to leave papers out at our desk at night. We had to have all our oh, wow. papers locked in our desk because it was. I mean, everything was confidential, right? Everything was potentially this woman, this woman, or I mean, it was really, they could be hurt if someone walked in the office and saw her name or, you know, so we had those kind of policies, very, very strict. And you can imagine the social media policies were very strict. I bet. Yeah. But we also laid out a series of protocols for what was encouraged, especially Mm -hmm. around events and we had a race and we had all like, you're allowed, if you are, you know, doing a race, we were allowed to take a selfie and, and tag and be like, Hey, we're at the race today. That kind of thing is totally allowed. Nothing that could, um, that could compromise confidentiality or security. So as long as you have those policies in place, then I I think you're going to be fine. Great. So thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate the conversation. Um, Remind us how people can get in touch with you. Sure. Well, my website, it's jcsocialmarketing.com. That's my blog. That's my courses. That's sort of everything about me. And then, of course, my podcast, it drops every Wednesday. It's Nonprofit Nation with Julia Campbell. And um, I've been loving it. I've been really enjoying it. So, And remind us of your books. Oh, yes. So I wrote a book. Storytelling in the Digital Age, a guide for nonprofits. Um, that's available Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and then I wrote How to Build and Mobilize a Social Media Community for Your Nonprofit in 90 Days. It's a handful, mouthful. <laughs> um, that's also available Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and hopefully your local bookstore, but you never know. Awesome. We'll link to it all in the show notes. Thanks again for being Yay. here, Julia. Thanks so much. It was it was great. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.